Well, today we're going to continue in our Way of Jesus series. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Um, you see that I brought a, a chair up here. I think about this a lot, especially when it comes to how we live our lives. And I want to show you something this morning. I want you to put your eyes on, on that chair and I want you to notice the lines. Look at the form. Got a vertical angle or horizontal platform and another vertical angle. That's the form of a chair. And, and the truth of the matter is, when you sit in it, you're going to take the form of it. Notice how my body instantly took the form of the chair. See, you're going to take the form of the things you lean on. You're, you're, whatever has a hold of you and whatever you hold on to, it's going to grab you back, Right? Whatever you, whatever you latch on to is going to latch on to you. And, and, and that's true in all, all the areas of life. And so my body has now taken the form of the very thing I'm trusting to lean on. And the reason that I, I start out and just show you that is a simple, simple reminder of what you trust most. It's going to form you. It's going to shape you. You know, when you look at Jesus, the, the number one thing, hands down, with no close second, the number one thing Jesus talked about in life was the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom. He, he rarely, if ever, talked about a church. He mentioned, by my count, and, and it may be maybe seen more than this, I can count of one time where he talked about a church, and he talked about the global church that he would build his, his, his church on, Peter's confession. But he talked about the kingdom everywhere all the time, and he gave all kinds of references to it. And today we're going to talk about that very thing. Now, if, you know, if you're new or maybe you haven't been around or maybe you've forgotten that in this Way of Jesus series, what we're doing is we're looking at lifestyle habits of Jesus. We're looking at things that Jesus actually did, and there were six, and here they are. Uh, Jesus always, uh, he was always truthful, right? He lived free, meaning he, he, he restored people physically. Sometimes he, re, he restored them physically. He always restored them spiritually, or at least almost always, I would say. Some people chose not to receive it. He practiced God's presence. It was more than just praying once a day. He walked with God. He told us to engage our neighbor. He engaged, and many, he engaged people far from God. Jesus came for people that were outcast, far from God, and they flocked to him. Jesus found a tribe. He lived his life in a small group, and he found a calling, with, and, he, and he helped them find their calling in that tribe. And he always put the kingdom first, and that's what we're going to do today. And I'm just going to title this very thing kingdom first because that's what Jesus did. Now, I can tell you, we're going to read a, a, a couple of, of verses in Matthew 13, verse 31. Here we go. Matthew 13, verse 31, Jesus is preaching and teaching about the kingdom. And it says, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, very small, very, very, very tiny, which a man took and he sowed in his own field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. And when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Very simple teaching. J Jesus was a master simple teacher. You know, Jesus had a way of talking about the things of God in simple ways. And I will tell you, in, in, in most cases, when it comes to parables, 
They're, they're, they don't have eight, nine, ten points. They have one point, right? They have one point. And, and this, it's a simple teaching, and I don't think we have to pick it apart. I think you get what he's saying. But I want to give you some context really quickly, just kind of give you the overarching understanding. Here's the simple context of, of what you see. So I drew it out for you, that, that Jesus is launching a movement, but he's launching a movement outside brick and mortar. So you need to know that. And that matters, He's launching a movement, but, but it wasn't a movement to build bigger buildings or more temples. He was, he was launching a movement that, that really had no boundaries. And, and so people, when we talk about the kingdom of God, I have found in my own personal experience that, that people have a hard time getting their mind around it. Like, what actually is the kingdom of God? He did talk about it all the time, but it's easier to say, you know, this is a platform. I, I have a cognitive understanding of exactly what Jason talks about when he says there is a, a, a platform, there's a chair, there's an amplifier or a, a speaker. There, you know, there's, I don't even know what some of these gadgets are up here. They got a lot of buttons on them, but I don't ever touch them because it makes people really mad when I do. All right. But I can touch it. I can feel it. I can understand what it is. The kingdom's a little bit different. So I'll give you kind of a working definition for it. Here you go. Ready? The kingdom of God is, is simply the rule and the reign of God over everything on earth and in heaven. It's the rule and the reign of God over everything on earth and in heaven. And when I say everything, it's the rule of God over your attitude. It's the rule of God over your parenting decisions. It's the rule and the reign of God over the things you want for. It's the rule of God. It's the reign of God over the way you talk about other people. It's the reign and the rule of God over how you spend your money. There, there, there is no limit to the rule and the reign of God. Can we agree to that? There's no limit to that, right? But I will give you a little add-on here, and, and let's go, yeah, that, that it's, it's the rule and the reign of God over everything on earth and in heaven given to his people to both practice it and lead it. Okay, that's what we are to do. It is, so, so Jesus gave us the kingdom. You saw many scriptures in that video. He gave us the kingdom, right? So the reality is, friends, you say, well, I don't want that. You don't get a choice, right? You don't get a choice. It's ours, man. And we're to take dominion over that. that that's ours to begin. I love in Revelation, this will slip right by you in Revelation if you don't know it, but Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6, look at what it says. John says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. That's us, friends. That includes you. He has made us a king. We are vehicles of the kingdom of God. Th th you know what a vehicle is. We are vehicles of the kingdom of God. So most most parables really kind of had one teaching. It's not, that, it's not that you can't get additional insight from parables, but for the most part, Jesus was trying to drive home a, a, simple, a simple thing. And, and I will tell you, when Jesus talked about the parable of the, the mustard seed, this wasn't faith like a mustard seed. This is about the actual mustard seed. And I think it boils down to one simple teaching that Jesus is trying to get our mind around. And I wrote it down this way. With God... Small investments create large legacies. 
Now, I really believe that's what he's getting at right there. Small investments create large legacies. What happened? There was a mustard seed, very tiny, right? If you've ever planted anything, I mean, you ever seen like flax seed you put in your oatmeal, stuff like that? I mean, it's, it's, it may be even smaller than that in some cases. But so what he's showing is that something small, God will take and cultivate into something big, Right? So it's, it's all about our action and how we, and how we use it. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about with God, small investments create large legacies. So what are we to take away about the kingdom first? And why does it matter to me and you in 2023? Well, I think it matters a lot. Today we're going to have some fun and we're going to look at some things. I think we're going to look at some things that maybe we don't often see. But I want to point out to you a couple of key truths about why this is true, that with God, small investments create large legacies. So what can we take away about our lives in this teaching? It's it's pretty simple. It's not super deep and super profound, right? But it goes to the heart of the matter. And I'll tell you the first truth. The first truth is this, is that God gives me the freedom to invest. He gives me the freedom to invest. You notice nobody in this parable forced anybody to plant anything. Do you notice that? God gives you freedom. He really does. You don't have to play along. You you, you can keep all your possessions to yourself. You can keep your time to yourself. You can keep your investments to yourself. But friend, I can tell you that God does give you the freedom. And if you want to do that, you can do it. But I want to point out something to you that, that, that I think jumps out a little bit is on, in verse 31. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took. That's an action step, right? And he what? He sowed it. He planted it where? Where? In his field. See, he owned it. Now, don't read right past that. He owned it. He owned that field. He could have done anything with that field he wanted to. And he'd have been right by doing it. It was his field. But he made a conscious decision to plant something in it. And what I would just say to you, very simply put, friends, is that the kingdom of God, it's personal, man. Don't miss that. It's personal. The kingdom of God is up close and personal. And the reason it's personal, because the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross and he died for my sins and for yours, the veil of the temple, meaning there was a, there was a curtain, right? So just imagine that there's a curtain right up in here and, and, and only I, and even certain times of the year, only me, and I had to go through all these consecrations, you know, and I had to go through all these perfections to be able to, to access that. And then I go through all of these things and then I can go behind that curtain because only the priest could do that. And, and so all of a sudden when Jesus dies on the cross, that veil goes away. And the reason that it goes away is now the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is what? At hand. It means I'm here. I'm walking among you. John tells us in the first chapter that he literally made his tent with us. He he took up an address in Sullivan Farms. He took up an address in West Haven. He took up an address in McKay's Mill. He took up an address in Brentwood. He took up an address in Tennessee. He walked among us. And so it's personal. And so it was personal to this man. He owned that field. He could have done anything with it. But... But he chose to invest, and you have the freedom. You don't have to play along. You really don't. But you're going to see in a minute why with God, small investments create large legacies. 
I want to give you another truth before we get to that, is that God expects me to manage what he's given me, right? And I can tell you how I can, how I can point that out to you. In verse 32, it says, this seed is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown. Now, I'm not a farmer, right? But I did sleep at a Motel 6 last night, and I did, you know, oh, those good commercials. Uh, I'm not a farmer, but I have a lot of farming friends, and I'm fascinated. Let me tell you something, friends, if, on a side note. If all y'all knew what it took to get that bean to your fork, you would have insane gratitude <laughs> of what those people go through, right? You eat rice, you don't even know how hard it was to get that. You try planting something in the ground and see if it comes up and, and, and get your paycheck from it, buddy. I mean, I have so much admiration for the intelligence of those people. And, but I, this is what I know. If you talk to any farmer, and many of you love to plant flowers, I think that's awesome. You should plant them, and you could plant them in my yard if you wanted to. Right now, I don't have any, and I don't plan on having any. Uh, don't tell my wife that, but I just don't. I don't have any plan on having any of that. I, I, just, I think they're just going to die, and I'm, I could spend my money on anything but something that's dying. Uh, that's just, that, wasn't for, that was just for me. That was a moment of group therapy. I just need to put that out there. But when you, when, when you plant something, and, and you, what, what you'll hear a farmer tell you is that there's three phases to to, 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 to farming, there is the planting phase, and that's a lot of work, it's a lot of prep. And then there's the harvest phase, where, where literally, if you ever grew up around farmers or had any of them in your family, they literally about get giddy in harvest time because they're getting to see their yield come. But then there's that place in the middle they called cultivation. And, buddy, that's from the moment that seed goes in the ground to the moment they take it out, they are fighting for it. I mean, they are fighting for it and sometimes fighting with it, right? And so they're putting all these, all these different additives and they're watching because everything from heat to pests and, and insecticides and all these different things, insect, insects, they're having to do all this stuff to make something grow. So this guy says when it was full grown, the whole thing became full grown because you have to tend to something. I mean, I'm a parent. When you have a child, you know what you don't do? Nobody does this. You don't just have a, have a, have a kid and all of a sudden go... Hot dog. Check that one off the list. All right, let's go get lunch. Right? Hope it goes well for you. No, that's absurd, right? There's a reason. I ran into a parent the other day and they're like, oh man, I'm just, hey, I said, how you doing? And they're like, I'm just exhausted. I mean, I've got this teenager who's doing this. And I'm like, there's a reason they write books about it. You know, it's brutal. It's hard work, man. It's hard work raising children. We all know that. And the, the, the reality is, but why? You're tending to them all the time. You're, you're working with that whole situation all the time, right? Because you want to see it full grown. So what he's doing is he's cultivating. I want to ask you a question, friend. Are you, are you cultivating? Are you cultivating what God gave you? Because I will tell you, if you don't, there was one time I planted millet in one of our duck holes. And I learned something about planting a crop of oh, oh, that many, that is a lot of acres. I was learning you can't live four and a half hours away and have a crop growing somewhere else. Because <laughs> it came up so good, about that high. And then there were these things called army worms. And army worms took me out in a day. And I was like, oh, it was 
down to the dirt. But if I had had the ability to monitor that, I could have caught them, right? There's a reason I'm a preacher, not a farmer. But I'm telling you, the cultivation phase, you've got to cultivate what God has given you. What did Paul tell Timothy? Stir up the gift. The gift's already in there. You've got to stir that thing up, man. You've got to be a lifelong learner. Whatever you do, you, you, you have to push and you have to grow. And, and God wants me to manage those things. But, but I will tell you one other key truth. God does give you the freedom to invest. He does expect you to manage what he's given me. But I will say to this, here's a promise in this verse, friends. It is a promise, I believe. It is God will do much with my little. God will do much with my little. He really is. He really, really can do that. Look at what he says there in verse 32. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that, look at this, man, here's the payoff, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Look at that. Look at that verse. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches, right? See, with God, small investments become big legacies. Let me tell you. If you look all throughout this book, if you look all throughout this book, here's what you find, okay? Here's what you find. Over and over again, it's not about numbers and scale. It's about obedience. Look all through this book, what do you find? That one life creates monumental legacies, right? What happened? Abraham. See, God measures, God measures all of us, not on our talent. He, do, he doesn't me, measure us on anything but our obedience. God wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. And he got Abraham's obedience. That's what he got. He got his obedience. So God has a history of using one man, to, one small investment to create large legacies. Through one man, a nation of God's people came into being. He was the father of the Jewish people, so to speak, and, and the Hebrews. And so he became to birth something. Look at Moses, right? God's people were in captivity through one man. God sends this man down there. Sure, there were other players in the game, but he says, one man, go do what I tell you. And you, I love the back and forth and all the struggles Moses had. And, but, but yet through one man, a, a big legacy was passed. What about Daniel? One man stood in front of the whole government and said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to defy the Lord. Look at all the prophets. How many prophets from Amos to Hosea? All just keep on going. You got all these different Elijah, one person, big legacy. Normal people, broken people, read their whole story, broken people. People with scars, real stories. They 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 weren't all together perfect by any stretch. God has a history of using one small investment with big legacy. Then fast forward to Jesus, right? One man breaks the curse of Adam's sin. One man. One man through Paul takes the gospel and teaches others and it spreads all. You're, you, you are a descendant of the movement of 12 people. Think, you ever think about that? I think about it a lot. See, small investment leaves big legacy. Many of you, I've been hearing uh, in the past maybe 30 days or so, I've been hearing people talk about uh, different people, people that you don't always hear from. Some of you are just really good encouragers, and 
you just love people and you love to encourage, and I love that. But I've been hearing even from people that I don't normally hear from, a sentiment going around our church, something's happening at Clearview. Yep. I can feel something happening, Jason. Yes, it's, you're, you're exactly right. I would agree with you. So I want to talk to you about some things you just don't get to see. Sometimes I think we have to lift the hood to see the engine. You only get to see a, a very limited bit. And I think it's important for me to tell you some things you don't see. I'm going to show you some mustard seed moments at Clearview that you might not realize. One, I would say we're becoming more faithful financially, right? Some of you grew up under a lot of preaching where preachers were always on you to put more in the offering plate. Well, I'm not going to tell you not to. You know, we need to be faithful. But I want to tell you something. And this came from, this came from Steve Clark. He noticed this. He, he leads our finance team. And Steve made an observation not long ago. And I was like, man, that's incredible. This is why, this is why I'm not an accountant. You know, I don't even care about this stuff, right? But I'm so glad people care about it. Because the people that do care about it can tell you a story. And they can show you a story. It's, it's so neat to watch people that have talent in those areas like come alive. And he said, Jason, I want you to look at something. He said, in, look at this. He said, in 2012, 50% of our attendees were givers. In 2022, 78% of, of our attendees were givers. Hey, come on, church. That's good news, right? Hey, I'll show you something else, right? In 2012, look at this. In 2012, $5,491 were out there per giving unit. 2022, $78,55, $700 were per giving unit. Friends, we're becoming more faithful. You see, sometimes it's hard to understand that when you give to Clearview or any church you go to, if you leave here and go to another church, when you give, we actually, because I want to give to missions, we are a mission. We, our whole church is that. We are a mission. You see, we, in, in fact, we, we tithe to missions as a church. Did you know that? We don't have, do you know many of you didn't grow up? In fact, about five, four or five months ago, I asked how many of y'all grew up in, in a Baptist church and like over 80% of the room raised their hand. I did not. Did, did not I was like, wow, like none of us, very few of you came from Baptist heritage. It's great and it's, it's awesome, but you're here now. And, and I'll tell you, we have this thing called the cooperative program. And, and what that is, is many, you might think we have to give to that. We don't have to give to it. But we tithe to, to missions. We, we give, we're in like the, like the, I think the top 15 churches in the whole state that give to missions in Baptist life. We are a mission. But let me tell you how some of that's used, man. Let me just share some small, what with God, small, small investments make big legacies. Let me tell you about something I bet you most of you don't even know about. There's a, th- a group of people called the Clearview Care Team, all right? Let me tell you about the Clearview Care Team. You're talking about small investments make b- big legacies. So there's a lady in our church named Sally Shimperton. She, her husband, Scott, beautiful people. Sally works for us part-time. And I'm going to tell you something. If any of y'all ever get mad at Sally, I'm going to send one of those five officers and they're going to tase you. All right. All right. You, you can't be mad. Nobody can be mad at Sally for anything. You're not allowed to be mad at Sally. All right. You can look at Sally and say, there's just no way I could ever be mad at Sally ever. In fact, I'm going to tell Scott, don't you ever be mad at Sally ever again. Right. He's not in here right now. I don't think. Are you in here, Scott? Good. Um, 
But let me tell you what Sally did. About two years ago, she came to me and she said, Jason, I have this burden on my heart and, and I, I want to help people that are hurting. And I want to I I form a team of people that write them notes. And she said, let me tell you where this comes from. Many years ago, many, many, many years ago, there was a situation where, where their family received a note from another church just saying, hey, we heard that something's going on in some part of your family, and we just, we just want you to know the Lord sees you, and he hears you, and he wants and just And, and it was not some recruitment effort. At, no, it was just the, the people of God being the people of God. And it, and it touched her so deeply, she never forgot it. And she said, do you think... I could maybe, I think I could get a little bit of money and we, could, and we could buy some resources that do this. And I want you to know, friends, in the last 24 months, your church, your church and your money and a small band of people have told over 800 people in two years that God loves them and they seize them and what they're going through with specific things that they are not alone. How cool is that? Is that not neat? See, that's a small investment with a large legacy. They've, they've, they've given over like 40, I think they're on their 44th gift package. They take gift packages to families. Outside our, this isn't inside our church, friends. Sometimes it is. A lot of times it's not. It's just people that come across that they hear about. I'll tell you another small investment. What about Waverly this year? Over 100 of you went to Waverly. If you went to Waverly even once, raise your hand if you were in here. Raise them high. Look around, yeah, yeah, great. So just in this group, we had over 100 people go help put a family that lost their home in a flood. Now they have a house where there used to not be one. Listen, friends, that's a small investment with big dividends. I'll give you, I'll give you another one. When you give to Clearview, we are a mission, and you know, we, we, we allocate. Do you know we allocate budget dollars for our, for our staff? We allocate budget dollars for a healthy staff. You know why that matters? We do a lot of personal development on our staff. We do a lot of leadership development. We hire people from the outside to coach us up on how to be better ministers and better leaders. You know why that matters? Because I can promise you what happens on this team affects every one of you. What happens to us happens to you, I promise you. And do you know when you give to Clearview, and by the way, it, it's interesting, you heard Shane Pass a few weeks ago, stand on this stage and say, this is the most healthy staff we've had in 23 years. Let me tell you something, friends. You don't get that by hoping for it. You get that by working for it. And you provide budget dollars for us to be better ministers, which helps everybody. And I'll tell you, in that same line of thinking, let me tell you about Kingdom Growth Institute. Many of you have heard about KGI it's something that we started uh, about two years ago. Here's the icon of it. Look at it right there. Kingdom Growth Institute, where we take on residents, not interns. Think of a medical residency. They come out of college or maybe right out of seminary, and, and we put them into motion, giving them street-level education on how to be ministers, not just in a book, but actually how to do it on the street. I would have given anything for something like that when I was at the age of Jenny, uh, uh, Jamie and, and, and Emma and, and Molly and Noah. And, and, and this, that whole thing is, it's, and I've, I've heard, you, you even heard Ben Mandrell recently say, I, he said, I, I can't believe, he, he even told me, he said, I, I don't think I've ever seen a church take it as seriously as you do. He told me that himself. But if you don't believe in KGI now, buddy, maybe you're asleep. Because if you didn't notice, 
The Lord moved the, le- the leader, Graham Inman, moved him to, to Mississippi. And you know what happened? Molly, and, uh, I mean, Molly, Molly for sure has been helping, but Jamie and Emma stepped right up into student ministry. No hiccup. Not even a hiccup. So when so next man up, right? So you know why? That's why student ministry is thriving right now. It's thriving because of your budget allocation to help us get people on the ready because the average student pastor stays in a church 18 months. The average, the national average is 18 months. So think about how, boy, think about how our students are, are, are seeing the benefits of, of right now. So when you give money, but imagine, imagine what we could do. Right? Imagine if all of us, imagine if that number wasn't 78% giving. That isn't tithing, that's just giving, which is wonderful. But imagine if 100% of all of us, you guys, we live in the, we live in the most wealthy county in the state of Tennessee. We also live in like the top 15 wealthiest counties in the United States of America. Can you imagine what we could do with the next generation of leaders 20 to 27 years old? Can you imagine how many churches? See, we want to, sometimes we keep them here, but we want to ship them out, man. It's a both and. Some will, we, ha- we may have to uh, keep them on staff if, they'll, if they're willing to stay. But our goal is to ultimately ship them away. Can you imagine five, ten years from now how many churches Clearview could affect if we would all get our minds and our hearts behind being a flywheel for the kingdom of God? It, it, it would blow our minds what we could do with that. I, I'm convinced there, that we're only seeing like a drop. We're only seeing like a pebble of sand on a beach right now with Kingdom Growth Institute. I'll give you another place, a mustard seed moment. Buddy, you want to go back into some of our church's history? See, many years ago, many, many years ago, many, many, many years ago, long before many of you were here, there were people that decided to buy some dirt over there on that side of the property just because it was a smart thing to do. Well, now their wisdom has given us margin And that margin is sometime between this month and August, pending no other weird hiccups. We think we're through most of them. (laughs) Pending no other unforeseen meteor strikes. For the first time in the history of Clearview Baptist Church, we'll be out of debt. How about that? Right? How about that? Yes. For the first time in our church's history, it's been historical. I'll give you one other great way that we're doing really great work. It's what I call relationship-based discipleship. Don't miss this. In just a minute, we're going to have a time where you can pray for refreshing, but I, I, don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. I call it restoration-based discipleship. We started with Keys to Freedom. Learning how that, that Jesus lived free. We began to study keys to freedom. We began to host conferences. Your money began to host conferences right here. That other churches are coming from all over the state and sometimes beyond. We're doing empower workshops to teach other people in churches how to be better ministers. Not just us, you, how to be better ministers of God. So empower workshops, the next time that's offered, take that thing, man. Take it because you're going to learn how to be better minister of the Lord. To Our society is, a huge theological term coming at you, our society is more jacked up than it's ever been. 
There's more bondage and anxiety and hurt and pain and addiction and, and, and struggle than I've ever seen in 32 years of ministry. And we're teaching our people how to become better ministers. And I think it's working. I believe it's working. In fact, I'll tell you this. It's those of you that like statistics, I think our restoration-based discipleship is giving more people permission to pursue God and be free. Do you know that already this year we've surpassed baptisms of last year? Already this year. We're, that was, yes, yeah, somebody should clap That's for that. Right. <laughs> already. And I, think, and I think that might have happened even before Christmas, but I'm not sure. It sounds better. I'm going to go with it. We've already passed last year. And I'll tell you something else. I'll leave you with this. Do you know that in the last 30 days, we've had 60 guests in the last 30 days in our church? See, I believe restoration discipleship is sending a message to people that your brokenness is okay here. And we're going we're to walk you to the healer. We're going to walk you to the healer. See, with God, small investments make for big legacies. Small investments make for big legacies. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook, or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.